You know, one of the things that um, I've always kind of appreciated about the Christmas season is the, um, you see these commercials sometimes uh, with uh, our service members around the world. And I, I love, well, they're not really commercials, right? They're, they're I don't know, spots, but they're publicity uh, spots on TV. And I love seeing these things because, uh, I mean, you might agree with me, at, at times it, it kind of gets out of sight, out of mind. We know that there are people serving our country around the world, some domestically and some uh, in friendly territories and some in not-so-friendly territories, but we just kind of get going about our days, and it's easy to forget. It's easy to forget, or maybe to let it, you know, drift from being in the front of our minds. And so I love those ads because, those spots, because they bring right back into uh, the front of our minds the reality that there are, are men and women who made a decision to go and uh, and, and use their lives to help keep us safe, you know, to serve others. And I honestly wish those commercials, those spots would run all year long, right? They could have some different messaging, obviously, or whatnot. That doesn't matter, except that they would just be in front of us in that way. I just think that would be tremendously helpful uh, for us. It would help us. It would honor their sacrifice. I mean, I could just say so much about that. But listen, uh, among the many reasons that people decide to or give to join the armed forces, uh, most, if not all, go with the understanding that they may give their lives in service to our country. In other words, they go with a particular purpose in mind. And the same and more is true of of God giving, sending His Son Jesus to His earthly post, to His earthly station. The Father sent the, sent the Son for a particular purpose. In one of our most well-known Bible passages we read uh, at Christmas, we read in Matthew 1, 20 through 23, an angel of the Lord appeared to, to him, but to Joseph in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. A particular mission requires a particular plan. God has never been a reactionary God. He's never kind of seen how the flow of the world takes place and then be like, oh man, now what am I going to do? And he's not always reaching into his bag of strategies to figure out what is next. Isaiah 53 tells us, and, and Acts 2, 22 and 24 tells us, but just think about it. If our armed forces went into a, into a war or into a particular battle in a war, right? Because we know that uh, wars are made up as battles and different things like that. If they went into a particular theater and then, then on the way over, they start creating their battle plan or they land and then they start trying to talk about what we're going to do or how this is going to look. I mean, we'd be done. We would be done and they would, they would lose almost any battle that they went into with that in mind. Isaiah 53 tells us that it was the will of the Lord to crush Jesus. I like to kind of slow down when we read that, because it would be really easy to just read that as a, as a fact or a truth about God and just keep moving on. But just think about that reality for a minute. We've had some really fun family nights this uh, Christmas season. Uh, we've read through, we're reading through an, an Advent book. Uh, we had some fun nights recently, sitting on the carpet playing games, um, laughing and sparring and 
wrestling and picking on each other. And I'll tell you, you know, all of those, those things, the games that we play, the, the wrestling, the, the, you know, whatever it might be, all those things are just tools to really to, to be able to be together. There's nothing I love hearing more, maybe a bit of an overstatement, but then when our kids, we just get to laughing and they just start belly laughing. I mean, I could just record that and I could just play that for hours, Right? I told, I, told, I told a joke to the kids yesterday. Sherilyn busted a gut laughing at it. And I was like, I didn't even think you'd think that was funny. It was, just, it was just fun. I could not imagine these whom I love in ways that I don't even know how to describe. Saying, I want you to go and die for those mean people over there. And you're going to love them and they're going to spit on you. They're going to treat you like garbage. You deserve to be treated like royalty. They're going to they're gonna treat you like garbage. I just, I just couldn't even imagine. But that's what our father did in sending his son, Jesus. Acts 2.23 says, uh, when he's preaching, uh, he's kind of in the middle of this sermon, if you will, and he says, this Jesus, who was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and you killed by the hands of lawless man, men. So in God's eternal purpose, God's, God's master plan, the Father devised a way, a plan, uh, in, in order to do away with the requirement of the law for salvation. So we have to ask this question, well, why? Why would God do away with this old covenant system uh, if it was working so well? Why would God need to devise or, or put into practice or put into effect this additional or secondary plan? Well, it didn't work, and God wasn't surprised by this. In fact, God introduced the old covenant in order to show us our need for the new covenant. Since before the foundation of the world, God devised an old covenant, and he devised a new covenant. And in sending Jesus, he says, out with the old and in with the new. Right? So Jesus' purpose in coming to earth through the virgin birth was to abolish the old covenant and its sacrificial system and to establish a new covenant. Right? And so the law, if you think about the law, the rules, the regulations, the, the men and women had to keep perfectly, right? They're not one slip up in order to have an eternal relationship with God the Father. Well, we know since the days of Adam and Eve, they never kept that covenant. And since then, Adam was kind of a, was a type of Christ, and so in the same way that Adam's sin, right? We always kind of talk about Eve gets the bad rap sometimes, right? She ate of the fruit. Well, Adam failed before she ever got there in not conveying God's command to her or in not leading her in some way. Adam's responsible for it. And Adam's sin, Adam's transgression, transferred down to every other human ever born. And so they would have sacrifices and burnt offerings they were required, but they were never intended to function as a permanent removal of the eternal penalty for our sin, because it couldn't. It could only be a temporary way to give people the opportunity to cleanse their consciences, to learn about the holiness of God, and to walk in faith-filled obedience for a period of time. 
It was never intended to save people from the internal punishment of their sins. That's why, as, as Katie read this morning, right, the writer of Hebrews tells us that, that Jesus came for what? To do God's will. He does away with the first, the old covenant, in order to establish the second covenant. And so for thousands of years, people would offer, the, offer these sacrifices and these, and these burnt offerings. And if Jesus would not have come, if Jesus would not have been born of a virgin, that's a critical fact uh, of Christmas. He had to be born through a virgin so that he would be 100% God and 100% man. That reality alone just blows our minds. When we, when we come across these truths that seem so simple and yet are beyond our capacity to understand, how is that possible that he could be 100% fully God, 100% fully man simultaneously? A really appropriate response, this is kind of an aside, is to step back, slow down your life, and worship God. To say something to the effect of, Wow. Wow. God, you're too big for my little mind to comprehend. And our minds are pretty fascinating creations in how they work, how much information they're able to process. And yet they're so small, so human. And God is glorious beyond our understanding. So Jesus was born through a virgin in order to make it so that you and I wouldn't have to offer sacrifices forever and ever and ever. And ever and ever and ever. You get the idea. And ever and ever and ever. And it still would never work. Because they're always intended to point forward to the one who could, right? Uh, you know, I don't know if, if men in the room here have ever uh, gotten a honey-do list from your wives, right? I'm seeing some expressions. Try not to make too much eye contact or I'll start laughing and roll somebody under the bus here. But I got to be honest with you, uh, they can be a challenge, right? I mean, it's not like we don't want to serve our wives. It's not like we don't love them and want to minister to them and all that sort of thing, right? But the problem is that a list of four things... I mean, hypothetically, in somebody else's household, a list of four things, five things, turns into six or seven, and so you've got a list of things that you want to be working on for your wife and to love her and serve her, and I know uh, honey-do lists can go the other way too, but you're working on these things, and, and, uh, and you kind of strategize your time, and she goes out and does other things or runs errands or does other work or whatever the case might be, and you're just getting ready to finish up that list and sit down for the game and you get your phone rings, or you get a text, or you just hear from the other room, oh, honey, by the way, and now that honey-do list isn't four things or five things, maybe it's seven or eight, right? So I figured out this, like, master question, right? So, like, sometimes I'll just be, I'll just say, hey, this is great, hon. I'm happy to do these things for you. Can I just ask you a question as I'm kind of thinking through my day? Anything else you think you might want to add to this list? It's like my way of locking it in, right? This is my responsibility. I'm trying to learn your expectations here. I'm happy to do whatever you want me to do. Let's just not leave five blank lines on this thing. Let's fill them up now so I can kind of manage my time. And then 
do what I want to do, right? Our list of expectations and rituals and sacrifices would go on and on and on and on. It would be a never-ending list. And we would never meet the end of that list because we're not perfect. We needed Jesus to come and do away with the list once and for all. There's no possible way to accomplish or to complete all of the requirements of, of the law. No possible way. Because God is holy and we could never meet his standard. We couldn't actually compile all of our efforts together and say, hey, we think we're pretty good people. Let's get together, Oak Grove Church, and, and let's try to knock this thing out. Maybe if we combine all of our efforts, we'll, we'll cumulatively become holy together. Perfect. No. Because every one of us has sinned one time. And if I had to guess, maybe more than once. So we'd never get there. We'd never do it. Jesus didn't come to the earth to be a good example for us. He came to be our Savior. He came, as Matthew said, to save his people from their sins by abolishing or demolishing the requirement of the law, to redeem us, to save us, to buy us back, purchasing our salvation from the curse of the law. Now, this mission has at least two objectives. These are the primary two objectives, that the God-man Jesus would live an absolutely perfect life in thought and deed. He had to be perfect, which is why he was born of a virgin with the Holy Spirit seed. So he had to be perfect, and he would have willingly and undeservedly allow himself to be murdered on a cross at Calvary. He would have to live a perfect life. He would fulfill all righteousness. He never sinned in his thinking. He never had one thought. We often think about his actions, but he never had one thought that was sinful. The Bible tells us that our, what we speak out of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? All of the sin that we commit externally starts in our hearts, works its way out. Hebrews 9, 11, and 12 says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats, goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. And so the writer of Hebrews goes on to tell us that Jesus now mediates, that means to stand as a go-between, between God and man, between the Father who's holy and perfect and, and you and I who are not holy and perfect. But, but when we look to Jesus and we trust Him in faith for our salvation, acknowledging our own depravity, our own sin, we get Jesus as a, as, as a friend, a brother, and a mediator, a go-between between us and God, which is why we pray in Jesus' name, amen. God, I'm coming to you by the power of the Spirit of God in the name of Jesus. I had a friend who told a story one time about going to, um, uh, going to check out a professional field. And, um, you know, you can't just, like, drive up to a stadium and say, hey, can I come in and take a look? Be like, well, you can buy a ticket for $80 or $200, and you're welcome to come in and take a look around. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But he was the uh, chaplain of the Yankees. He was the chaplain to Spanish-speaking players in the Yankees. And so 
His friend called him and said, hey, can I come take a look around? And he said, yeah, you can. Because it's all about who you know. And the same is true of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus taught his disciples, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you in John 15. Greater love has no one than this than he would lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. And you didn't choose, choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and bear much fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask in my I'm sorry, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. And these things I command you so that, so that, so that you will love one another. The Son of God, who, 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 who thought everything right. It's not that he just didn't think wrong thoughts. Everything that he was supposed to think, everything that he was supposed to think on, he thought on. And he didn't just avoid sinning. He did everything perfectly that he was supposed to do in living his life on the earth so that he could be our sin sacrifice, so that he could open the door for us to have eternal relationship with the eternally holy, righteous, perfect, and loving God. It's the most sacrificial love possible in all the world. Could there be a greater love? No. I mean, the answer is unequivocally no. There could not be any greater love, not just because we understand it that way, although that's true, but because Jesus said it. Greater love has no one than this than he laid down his life for his friend. And Jesus laid down his life for us, for his friends, so that, so that we would bear much fruit. He, he sacrificed his life so that you and I will grow up into him, that we will, we will mature. We've been looking at 1 Corinthians in a Sunday school class and talking about the reality of growing from, from milk to soft foods and from soft foods to harder foods and to meat. That, that's God's goal for us as Christians, to be continually growing up into Christ as a body. That's not a competition. It's not a race. But wherever you're at today, next week or next month, the Lord wants you to be just a, a half a step further. Right? Not, not, not way down here. Not at the end of the race. Just a, a half a step further. Bearing much fruit fruit that it's enduring, fruit that lasts, fruit that lasts. Jesus had a purpose to do the Father's will, verse 7 tells us. Katie read it for us this morning, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you prepared for me. This is coming from Psalm 40. In burnt offerings and in sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. And then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written for me in the book. Become, I have, I'm sorry, behold, I have come to do your will. 
And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. God has a will. God's will for us is not to do Jesus's job, if you will. Our, our will, I'm sorry, God's will for us is to walk in fellowship with Him by coming to Jesus first and foremost, and by loving one another. And the love that we have for one another is really the, the overflow, or I'm sorry, the, 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 well, it's the overflow of God's love for us, but it's also the visible manifestation of God's presence in His people. By this, they will know you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. Jesus said in John 15, you are my friends if you do what I command. So if you name the name of Jesus, we're to do what God commands. Now we're not going to do all perfectly, but if, if you proclaim that Jesus is your Savior, you ought to be bearing some increasing amount of fruit that lasts, and that fruit is made visible in how we love one another. That's the end of that uh, little section in John. These things I commanded you so that you will love one another. So Jesus had a purpose to do the Father's will, and our Father has a will for each of us who name Him as His Savior, to love one another, showing that we are Jesus' friends, showing that Jesus is our Savior. Now, let me ask you something. Does this purposeful mission of Christ change or strengthen your affections for God? Because it would be real easy to, to, to move right to, what are you doing for God? It would be really easy to move right to a place of, of like, with a, um, like with an entertainer, right? Spinning a bunch of plates in the air, and you got to keep them all spinning. And you move to a different stick, and you spin that plate, and you spin this plate, and I'm probably not even doing it right because I don't know how that works. <laughs> Shocker. But if you move right to what I need to do for God, you very easily could be moving right into sacrifices and offering mode. And as we sang this morning, our life is our sacrifice. And so we say, Lord, what, what's your will for me? How do you want me to be loving you, following you? And the best place to start, the first place to always start is, are my affections impacted by what I know God has done for me? Because otherwise you get the cart before the horse, and you begin thinking about all of these plates you got to keep spinning, all these balls you got to juggle and keep them all up in the air, and your, your joy in Christ will rise or fall on whether or not you see that you're doing it well or not. And the primary thing that God wants for us, the primary thing that God purchased for us is our hearts to be able to love God and let everything else flow from that. We see the results in, in, a little bit later in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 21 through 25, he says, and since we have a great high priest, I'm sorry, a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. That's our confident expectation. 
Hold fast to this confession without wavering. For he who promised, that is God, is faithful. And let us, let us consider how to stir one another up toward love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. This is why God wants us to be here. Lots of things that we can be doing in the faith that are good. Uh, Bible studies that meet throughout the week are good. This is the one where God says, I want you to be there with my people. I want you to be there so you can be loving one another, encouraging one another, sharpening each other in the faith. Meet together regularly, weekly with one another for this purpose. Not neglecting to meet together, verse 25, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I was standing with uh, nearly 800 others that worked in uh, the company that I worked for at the time as we watched one airplane and then another careen into the Twin Towers in New York City. I was in Tennessee at the time, but I had family that lived in New Jersey, not too far away. And uh, so I was, uh, like everyone, just especially interested and curious and fearful for what was happening. In fact, my, my brother-in-law, has a, his dad has a plane, and he was actually out in the air flying at that time. So everyone was a little disconcerted. And every one of us in my office in the company that I worked for down in Knoxville, Tennessee, all work ceased. You didn't have any bosses going around saying, hey, get back to work, because there was a greater priority. Everybody was concerned for our nation, and we, we stood over our cubicles like this, silent, just watching, waiting for more news. In fact, if you're early college or younger, you weren't alive when this happened. And as a nation, we came together very strongly for a period of time. And among the many things that flowed from that painful, horrific, horrible situation were some positive ways that our nation was codified. To this day, there's a memorial that remembers what happened. And, you know, you see it on a picture sometimes. Uh, it's massive. It's massive. Two lights that shine straight up in the air that will always be a part of that New York City skyline. And one of the other things that has flowed out of that day was the phrase, say it, ready? One, two, three. You're afraid you're going to get it wrong. We will never forget. Apparently, there's more than one phrase. <laughs> A bunch of petrified looks. I don't want to get it wrong. We will never forget became the mantra. It became the mantra for, for many who, who were killed or badly injured as a result of those Twin Towers falling. It also became the mantra for those brave men and women, while everybody else was running for their lives and nobody would blame them, but the police and the firefighters and more ran to their death. And as a nation, we have said, we will never forget. 
God calls us to come together, to love each other, to meet together, to challenge each other, to do life together. And when we're together, he calls us never to forget. Always remember what Jesus has done on the cross in coming to live on this earth and to give his life as a sacrifice for you and for me. Not one who, 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 who ran away, and I don't mean that in a cowardice sense. I mean one who came intentionally and ran to his certain death. Because it was the Father's will for him in order to do away with the old covenant and bring in the new covenant. And in fact, when Paul is telling the church about this in 1 Corinthians, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and, and when he had given thanks to the Father, he broke it, and he said, This, this is my body, or he, he means a picture of my body, or my sacrifice. This is my body, which is for you, given for you. Do this, eat this in remembrance of me. Never forget. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, and this cup, he said, is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Every one of our, our families, every one of our, 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 our tribes maybe, if you will, we've got certain phrases that we want to say that proclaim something about the importance of things in our life, and we want to keep saying about 9-11, we will never forget. If you spend time, if you have the opportunity at times to spend time in D.C., and you get to go see varying memorials from different wars, we intentionally erect uh, statues, walls, send lights up into the sky and build memorials as we ought to so that we will never forget. Before all of that, Jesus left us a sign. When you're together, do this in remembrance of me. Proclaim, tell the story of my death until I come again. He goes on, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of our Lord. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning or understanding the intensity and meaning of what Jesus did on the cross, kind of loosely paraphrased there, whoever eats or drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. We have to be, we have to be mindful when we come to this time. We, we, we ought not be flippant about our time together. Now, that doesn't mean we have to sit in seats with our heads down. We want to be intentional. We can sit in our seats. We can bow our heads and use this as a quiet, personal time to pray. We can also be doing the many other things that God calls us to do together as a body, right? In a minute, we'll have two stations up here, and we'll have two stations in the back, and if you believe that Jesus is your Savior, there's nothing you can do to earn your way to heaven, to work your way to heaven. We invite you to come and, and, and remember the perfect life and sacrificial death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Come, partake. But it also may be wise for you uh, to take a beat, take a moment. Ask the Lord to search your heart. God, am I really your child? 
Or, Lord, am I, am I knowingly living in ways that I understand to be contrary to your will that I haven't repented of yet? Let me get that right with you first. Uh, you don't have to go away and fix it first because God's forgiveness is ready for you. In fact, it's already been purchased for you. Verse 28 says, let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the brink and the, uh, drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And that's why so many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we, we, would, uh, we would not be judged. But when we're judged by the Lord, we are, are disciplined, as we've spoke about recently. God's loving discipline for His children. We are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. And if you sense the Lord's discipline in your life, rather than fighting it, kicking against the goads, just go to the Lord, agree with God. We call it confession. Agree with God that He's right and you're sinning. Thank Him. And turn from your sin and eat and drink to remember God's blood, body, and God's blood. So then, my brothers, whenever you eat together, wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, let him eat at home so that whenever you come together, it won't be for judgment. And about other things, I will give you directions when I come. There's a togetherness about the new covenant. There's a togetherness in how we're to Understand God's love for His people through sending His Son, which is intended to be uh, to uh, to to uh, change or to increase our affections, our love for God, which enables us to to walk in the will that God has for us, so that we can bear much fruit and therefore love one another. And so we love one another even as we come, and we eat this bread, and we drink this cup. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, there is so much here for us to understand today, and we pray for your help in understanding these things. Your word is, is, is long. I mean, it, there's so much that you've given us in the Bible to, to know you more and, and to respond in worship-filled, faith-filled obedience. And so wherever we're at, with, with this number of people in here, Lord, there are so many different places where we could be, where you could be at work within our hearts. And you're not limited to speak only to one or two or five of us at a time. You can give your full attention, and you do give your full attention to everyone who comes to you. And with that, Father, would you help us not to, to check out during this time or just to go through the motions or, or spin more plates or do something that we might think is our religious duty by either coming to church today or I took communion today or I sang the songs today or I, I said hi to somebody that, that I didn't know very well today and I could check off that box or, or I acknowledge somebody that I don't really even like that much so I could check off that box. We will never be able to check off all of the boxes and it was never your intent for us to do so. Jesus has fulfilled everyone. Help us to rest in Him. Help us to be satisfied in Him, to stand in awe 
of him. And Lord, anything fruitful that we're able to do, we know is only because you're the one that brings the fruit. And so we will, we will strive to be very careful to give you all of the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.